Well, hello and welcome to the Catherine Plano podcast, where we share tips, tricks, tools, and strategies that you can implement in your life for massive improvements. Every week, we have change instigators, compelling creators, and interesting humans who are breaking the cycle of convention and redefining success one mission at a time. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life. Now let's jump into your weekly dose of practical goodness. This week's episode, we deep dive into the art of boundary setting with the incredible Haley McGee. As a certified life coach and relationship expert, Haley shares her wealth of wisdom and experience, providing practical tips and insights that will help you to establish and maintain healthy boundaries in your personal and professional life. From the importance of self-awareness to the power of saying no, this conversation is packed with actionable advice that will leave you feeling empowered and ready to take charge of your relationships. Tune in now to discover how to celebrate the boundaries you need to live a life that is both fulfilling and meaningful. Enjoy. Well, today I am super excited about our guest and the topic. Um, it's one. It's one of those things that I love talking about people pleasing and boundaries so I'm sure our listeners are going to get right into this interview so we've got the beautiful Haley McGee welcome to the show hi thanks for having me excited to be here I'm excited to have you here so the way that we start the show we always love to ask our guests how did you get to where you are today tell us your story gosh all right well I think like so many people who do sort of healing work for a living I I work around the stuff that I struggled with when I was little. So I think my story really starts when um, I was in school, you know, I was in like elementary school, junior high, and I had no idea how to speak up for myself or access my voice. Um, I was bullied a lot. There was a lot of stuff that happened and it was so hard for me in the moment to speak up and set boundaries and kind of say like, hey, don't talk to me that way. You know, and that was kind of the thread that continued throughout much of my, you know, adolescence and then young adult life too. Um, in that process, you know, I went to school for politics. I was so interested. I was like, how can we help people advocate for themselves, get a voice? And at the time it was like systemic. That's the way we'll talk about how to like vote and run for office and all of this stuff. But then as time passed, I realized that so many of our barriers to using our voices, there are many external barriers there are also so many internal barriers that come from how we were raised and our childhood and all these other factors. And so I eventually shifted courses and I went from working in politics into getting my life coach certification training, um, really with the intention of helping people learn how to better advocate for themselves and use their voices. And like you said, break the people pleasing pattern. And it's been five years now doing that work. And it's been this fascinating combination of helping others do this while also witnessing and experiencing my own journey, becoming more comfortable using my own voice and 
speaking up for myself. Amazing. So let's talk about, you talked about external, internal boundaries. Let's talk about internal boundaries first. What are they? So internal boundaries are promises we make to ourselves about what we will or won't accept from ourselves or others. So it's a very personal process. Um, An example of an internal boundary might be, we had spoken earlier, both of us like to go to bed early, (laughs) right? So one of my internal boundaries is I don't pick up the phone if someone calls me after 8 p.m. That's a promise I make to myself to meet my own need of getting enough rest. I don't even necessarily need to say to someone, hey, I'm not going to pick up your calls after eight. It's just something I do to maintain my own limitations. That's an internal boundary. Mm, I do. It's, it's interesting that I actually don't have the phone in my room. And my mom said to me, what about if there's an emergency? <laughs> so, well, you, you can always uh, ring my husband. Um, but I'm I'm the same. When it's bedtime, it's bedtime. And uh I, I'm very strict with that because I know the impact it has on me if I don't get enough sleep. Are there any okay. other internal boundaries or is it just, is that it's just the promises that you make to yourself? Yeah. And I mean, we can, uh, we can practice internal boundaries with other people. So let's say, for example, that we have a history of gossiping and it makes us feel bad and we don't want to do it anymore. So when we're in a group of friends and they start gossiping, we can practice our internal boundaries by simply not participating in the conversation, right? Not saying anything nice to say (laughs) and just sitting. Of course, that could also be an opportunity to practice external boundaries, which are uh, boundaries we set with other people about what we will or will not tolerate, right? So in that moment, I might set an external boundary and just say, hey, y'all, I'm not willing to participate in this conversation. Doesn't make me feel good. And in that moment, we have that transition into that. Yeah. And what about, you know, so I know for me, and we've had a couple of people on the show, we've talked about boundaries. Some, when you're talking about personal boundaries, I think it could be even as simple as when uh, when you're thinking about, uh, when I think about the promises I make myself, let's say I say to myself, starting Monday, I'm going to stop eating chocolate for a week, right? And then come Monday, all you want to do is eat chocolate. And so what does that does to what does it do to the individual when they set themselves promises at say or boundaries, which I love the fact that you use them as promises and they keep breaking them to themselves? Yeah. How do you get yourself because I, I hear people will say it all the time, including myself, I'm gonna start exercising. I'm gonna these these are like I set myself a, a but I don't fulfill with them. I don't fulfill the task at hand. Right. So what can take place when we keep, you know, not honoring those boundaries? Yeah. I completely connect with that too. Like I know for me, I struggle to honor my internal boundaries around social media. It's such an addictive thing. Like all these things we're talking about so often are, they really draw us in in some way. So I think what happens when we uh, trespass our own internal boundaries is that we slowly begin to erode our sense of self-efficacy or simply like we don't trust ourselves anymore. You know, we break promises the same way if someone else in your life breaks promises to you on a regular basis, you stop trusting them. And I think with time, the same thing can happen to ourselves. And so from there, we kind of have to ask ourselves, how can I begin rebuilding trust with myself? Um, And maybe the initial goal of exercising every day, maybe that's not the best place to start because it's so big. So we can ask ourselves, what are smaller ways we can begin to regain self-trust? You know, even if for me, maybe it's saying, all right, well, I won't pick up my phone for the first 30 minutes in the morning when I wake up and I'll journal instead. Small steps can help us rebuild that. 
Mm, I love that. That's that, and it has to be simple. Otherwise, it just doesn't happen. Right. We want to set ourselves up for success, right? Like I so often in my work, I talk about boundary setting, both internal and external. It's like strengthening a muscle. We need to start small and work our way up. Like you're not going to run a marathon the first day you start learning how to run. You're going to do maybe some laps. And so we can apply the same logic to this work too. 100%. All right. So then now let's go to external boundaries because you were talking about internal. Let's go external. What are some external boundaries? So when we set an external boundary, we're basically communicating to someone else what we will or will not tolerate. And I really like to distinguish between requests and boundaries because the two get really overlapped. And so a request is when we ask someone to change their behavior to meet our needs. So let's say, Catherine, you and I are yelling at each other, (laughs) which I don't think would happen. I could make a request and say, hey, Catherine, could you lower your voice when you speak to me? Right. So that's a request. I'm asking you to change. By the time we set a boundary, I need to make clear what I will or will not tolerate. So I might say to you, hey, Catherine, um, I can't continue to speak with you when you raise your voice at me. And then I would enforce the boundary by hanging up the call or staying silent or something like that. So it's kind of it's an interesting uh, distinction, right? It's, It's small, but it actually makes a huge difference. Yep. So, so I'm looking at requesting is I'm asking you to stop speaking to me that way. And then setting a boundary is I won't tolerate. So you're not asking them. You're saying, so the, so I look at the energy you're going, the energy when you're, you're making a request, it's you're asking them. So the energy sits with the other person. Whereas That's when right. you're creating the boundary, it's saying, you're actually saying, I won't tolerate this anymore. So this is, then it's, it's a self. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yes. Requests are about other people changing. Boundaries are about us basically like removing ourselves from situations when they're not meeting our needs or when they're actively harmful to us. Mm. So yeah, requests are about others. Boundaries are about us. Okay. And are there any other external boundaries apart from ourselves? Are there any other boundaries? Because I know for me, boundaries, the way that I look at it, it could be uh, with environments as well it could be with people it could be in even like love and relationships what I will and will not and that's hard it's hard because it depends on how close you are to the individual because I don't know about you but I have these little ripples of guilt that bubble up if I set boundaries yeah oh yeah oh those ripples yeah so talk through about maybe some other external boundaries and how do we conquer these little ripples of guilt that pop up? Yeah. Okay. Great questions. For me, they're like tidal waves (laughs) sometimes, but I think so external boundaries, I mean, boundaries are present in every area of our lives. Um, Another way of thinking about boundaries, and this comes almost from a more therapeutic context is like boundaries are where we end and another person begins. And that logic can apply to work, love, faith, environments in which we exist, our communities, our neighborhoods, all of our relationships, like we always need to have a sense of where we reach our limit and our ceiling. And that's where our boundaries happen. And I think, like you said, especially in our more intimate relationships or relationship in which there's a longer history, setting boundaries can be hard because so often we're like shifting the patterns that have been at play for a long time. um, And that can create a lot of guilt. So 
maybe for example, like we have a spouse and every day for the last five years, our spouse has come home from work and just spends like two hours complaining about how hard their day was. Maybe we reach a certain point where we realize we've reached our capacity and that's too much for us now. So we set a boundary with our spouse saying, hey, honey, you know, I love you. And um, it's really hard for me to hear you complain about this every day for so long. So I'm not going to be available for that for quite as long anymore. We can know that we have the right to that boundary, like cognitively, but emotionally, of course. I always say, like, of course we feel guilt. We're changing a pattern. Um, And in my experience, and we can talk more about this, but in my experience, the goal is not to try to make the guilt go away because that doesn't always work and it sets us up for failure because guilt is a very natural reaction. Rather, the question is, how can I develop guilt resiliency? So the capacity to sit with the guilt without acting on it. Mm, I love that. I love that. Because, you know, it, it's it's interesting. Everyone goes through this. When you first start a relationship, you think the the sun shines out of their crown chakra, that they can do nothing wrong and you'll put up with stuff, right? And then right. over time when the conscious relationship is out the way and you become very comfortable with one another, it, it, it might even take, more than five years, it might be 10 years later, that, that you get to a point where the things get to you, right? And then it's like, well, how do you bring it up when you haven't brought it up for the last 10 years? How do you now bring it up and say, I can't do this anymore? Or I can't, I can't, I can't listen to those stories anymore without feeling guilty. That's right. You know, I think like, that's the thing, because it is a shift, because it may have been years. And When folks are setting external boundaries like that, I encourage this thing that I just call radical transparency, which is kind of a way of setting boundaries that just acknowledges that this is different and weird and hard. So in that case, right, like I might say to my spouse, like, hey, honey, can we talk about something? Like, listen, this is hard for me to say, and I know it's different from how things have been between us in the past. But now I'm starting to notice that blank, right? I'm starting to notice that it's really hard for me to hear about your day two hours a day. So, you know, and and kind of just like using those little buffer phrases to set a boundary can help create a more comfortable environment for us to be like, yeah, this is new. It's different. It's hard. And I'm still allowed to feel this way, you know? Mm, Yeah. So I'm thinking that I know there would be a lot of uh, couples out there that instead Mm. of setting boundaries, because they can be really uncomfortable, they just start going this way, right? So the relationships mm-hmm. go, go, it's almost it grows apart rather than actually having those courageous conversations and say, hey, this doesn't, you know, it doesn't sit right with me anymore. One thing you talked about, which I really want to kind of unpack a little bit. Mm. So the guilt comes up, right? You were talking about building resilience around the guilt. So feel it, but just don't act on it. Is that right? That's 100% right. Hmm. Yep. So how do you, because I know I've, I'm, I'm practicing that uh, with a few people around me and guilt does come up and it stays there. Like I, I'll acknowledge it and I understand it's a pattern and I understand that's a default position that I've had carried forever, 50 mm-hmm. odd years. Uh, but, but it's one of those things that it keeps niggling at me for days. Mm. And then it might be like three, four, five days. And then I'll go, I might send them a note. 
am I, oh, I might just, you know, so then I'm just kind of like the boundary that I, I, you know, was very strong at keeping for days. I then mm-hmm. loosen my boundaries. This is so totally right. This is such a normal and natural reaction because the guilt is so uncomfortable. And so I think in those cases, there are a bunch of kind of like tools and practices, so to speak, that can help people, uh, kind of like retain their commitment, you know, and also ease the guilt. So like, I'd love to share some with you. Want to hear some? I would love that. (laughs) Okay, cool. So like there are a couple, I'll just throw, I'll spitball a couple of them at you. And and we cover these in my workshops extensively, but like one really helpful tool for managing guilt and building guilt resiliency is thinking a little bit about the future. You can ask yourself, right? Like, okay, you know, I set a boundary and it's hard. Um, what will my future look like? Think long-term. So like one month from now, six months from now, five years from now, how will my life continue to look differently as a result of setting that boundary? And then you counter that with, what if I hadn't set the boundary? Or what if I renege on my boundary and take it back because I feel so guilty? What if it were never there at all? And then you imagine the future through that lens, one month, one year, five years, you really give yourself the opportunity to get out of your instant gratification mind and look at the big picture. Why is this boundary so important to hold? Because those two versions of your life that you map out side by side often look very different from one another and you end up wanting the one where you set the boundary. Yep. I, you, I've just had a flashback. I've done that. I've done one with big decisions. Big, I'm talking about massive decisions. I always go, and even even in with this this relationship, um, uh, my husband and I've been in for quite some time now. Um, it was I remember because I was a single mother for such a long time, eleven years, to actually have someone come into my life was really scary, uh, and even the thought of him moving into my home was really scary. But I did that. I actually went, if I don't take the uh, risk or the opportunity or or take a chance on it this is where my life will be and I did that I did at uh, 12 months two years five years and then if I did take what would be the worst thing so I did give myself two different pathways to actually map out what my life would like or my timelines would look like before I said yes so you just oh, took that's so to, cool that, that's probably about 14 15 years ago now and what's so cool, and I don't know if you experienced this in that moment, but I think it's such a great exercise when we're feeling very reactive to a certain emotion. Because in that moment, all we want to do is feel better. Like in that moment, four days later, when you're like, oh, maybe I'll send a note. You just want that guilt to go away. So this yeah. helps us retain commitment. I love um, it. Here's a second one for you. That is a real reframe that I love. So typically, when we set a boundary that's hard and we feel guilt, All that's running through our mind is, how did this boundary hurt them? How did this boundary upset them? How might this boundary ruin our relationship, right? It's very negative. It can be really fascinating to flip the script and say, well, what are some hidden ways that me setting this boundary might actually benefit this person, them, in the short or long term, or our relationship in the short or long term? Um, And typically there are some unexpected, unconsidered benefits. At at minimum, at minimum, a benefit is that they received your honesty 
and they were no longer secretly on the receiving end of all your resentment because they were doing a thing you didn't like or because they weren't mind reading your needs. But then also like sometimes it's powerful to give a person feedback about their actions. Sometimes they grow from that. When we set a boundary and we stop enabling people, sometimes we give them the opportunity to develop independence and autonomy. So typically there are some hidden benefits we can find that make it better too. Oh, 100%. And they're probably not even aware of it. If it's an unconscious behavior, Mm -hmm. they won't know until we give them the feedback. Yep. And like also intimacy requires boundaries. Like you can't form like a super committed, intimate, and transparent relationship with a person without the ability to tell them how you feel and what you need. And so really boundaries might suck in the short term, but in the long term, they're kind of the only pathway to true intimacy, in my opinion. Like, I really think we need them. I, t- I totally agree with you. And even though I've had to, I have, I've had to, um, and circumstance sometimes forces you to uh, stand uh, strong and create or form boundaries Um, and as uncomfortable as it is, I always say to myself, you know, there's growth in feeling, being comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's how we grow. And so I've learned how to do that, but guilt does come up. And it's really interesting because one day someone said to me, why are you feeling guilty? You haven't done anything wrong. Like, why are you feeling guilty? I'm like, yeah, I know. It's it's kind of weird. Like it's, it's, it's more that I'm feeling guilty because I'm doing something for me. I'm feeling guilty because I said yes to me and no to them, you know, and it just goes back to maybe that probably links into people pleasing. A hundred percent, right? Because if, especially if we're accustomed to playing this role of like the go with the flow or the always yes, or the I'll help you out by setting a boundary, we're not just like taking one action in a moment in time. We're also kind of like fundamentally shifting our identity, you know, we're saying, actually, I'm someone who also values myself and prioritizes myself. And I can feel so foreign, so yeah. foreign. Yeah. But then I even look at people pleasing, you know, there's the, the well, that's just me because I'm a recovering people pleaser. And I think there's a lot of underlying drivers that makes you do that, you know, whether it's you want to be approved, you want to be validated, you want to be accepted, you want to be loved, you want to belong, you want to connect. What are your thoughts? What are some of those drivers that make us do that? Yes, 100%. Oh, my God. Um, I've just been talking about this recently. So I think the first thing to acknowledge, I think there's a difference between acknowledging where a behavior comes from in the past and acknowledging what we're, <laughs> how we're acting on it in the present. So in the past, a lot of us developed people-pleasing from things ranging from like feeling unseen as a child, experiencing childhood neglect or unsafety or trauma or abuse, Um, not having caregivers who could mirror our emotional experience or even experiencing systemic oppression as a way to survive, right? So you learn to be extra accommodating and kind so that you're safe. So these are all examples of the origins of people-pleasing. In the present day, people-pleasing tends to be like an outdated coping mechanism. We learned it in the past to stay safe, but now we're adults and we have agency. And so, but we're still people pleasing because we still think we have to. And so in the present moment, people pleasing is often motivated by things like loss aversion. Like, I don't want to lose you. Um, Compulsion. Like, I'm people pleasing because I don't know how not to people please. Like, I literally never learned how. Um, 
transactionality. Like I'm giving you this so that you give me something back, whether that's the feeling of being seen or literally like money or something. Like, so all of these little subtle factors are totally what motivates people pleasing in the present day. So how do you, because I mean, I think it's a very, I mean, I, I always talk about you know, try practice being conscious as often as you can so that you can catch out when you're feeling guilty or catch out when people pleasing, you know, bubbles up for you. So what do you, what do you do? What are your tricks to w- conquer people pleasing? Do you, do you actually uh, build the resilience muscle to people pleasing like you do with guilt or is that something you just stop it in its tracks? In my experience, it's totally a muscle building practice. I wish I had like a magic bullet, um, but I don't think that exists. Like I think just like anything else, we have to practice. And it's it's a two-way street. On the one hand, we have to practice in our relationships with other people. So setting the boundary, having resiliency with guilt, speaking our truth, whatever. But there's also the second fork in the road, the second path, which is about enhancing our relationship with ourselves. Because at its core, like people pleasing is really like a disconnected relationship with the self. So just as important as like boundary setting is homecoming, like learning how to attune to our own feelings, needs, values, physical sensations, like the somatic experience of it, passions, like all of that is just as important as like the whole boundary setting thing. And I often feel like it's really overlooked because we love boundaries in this culture, but we overlook the self required to set them, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think about is sometimes too, environment must play a big part because I know I might be really strong with setting boundaries at home, but maybe not so much at work or when I work with my clients. So even though, I might feel that, it, you know, like in, sometimes I go, oh, it doesn't feel right. Um, rather than do or say anything about it, I just let it go because I don't want to upset a client. I just kind of go with the flow, but I'm putting myself out because it doesn't feel right. So what would you say to those people that struggle? It depends on the environment because I know people at it work does. would be a different thing. You don't want to up, you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to upset your boss, you know, so, so how do we, um build that muscle and it does, doesn't matter what environment we're in yeah well first I just want to normalize this so I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with in the past who who maybe like you like were great at home or struggled in the workplace or vice versa like we're total like fearless confident strong in the workplace but then when they got home with a lover or partner it was kind of like they reverted to that like I'm afraid you're going to abandon me I'll say or do anything to keep you here people pleasing state So this is super normal. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, like where we received our validation and sense of security, like in childhood. Like I know for me, I was always people pleasing teacher's pet, right? So work in school, I was like, I'm great. I got this. But in my more intimate relationships, I didn't receive a lot of validation or security. So as an adult, those intimate relationships are more aware of my people pleasing can come up. So first, like just like normalizing that super normal. Second, I always say, people don't like it when I say this, but it's the truth, which is that you can't boundary set your way into a perfect life because sometimes there are forces that are outside our control. Like if you're financially dependent on your workplace and your boss isn't treating you perfectly, you could set a boundary with your boss. And there are ways of doing that. 
But that comes with the inevitable truth that sometimes that could mean um, hopefully it goes well for you. It could also mean getting fired from your job. And so especially if you're in a position of less privilege, you make the conscious choice to set boundaries less often as a way of preserving your safety, your security. And we have to talk about that because it still is a choice. Like, I don't know. I often feel like this goes unexplored sometimes because ideally we would just be setting boundaries left and right. But sometimes there are very real reasons why we choose not to. Yeah. I have to say this being in my time, and if I look back even, say, 25 years ago, um, I, I know that there was people that had said things to me <clears throat> that I allowed. And I still carry to this day that I wish I had the courage to say something. But I remember one time where there was this guy who was always aggressive um, and specifically around me and I was the only um and this is going back a long time ago I was the only woman in the the uh the team so he was used to dealing with men he's very old school didn't want to deal with women you know that kind of it was cultural as well and the way that he used to talk to me one day I turned around and I just said who do you think you are speaking to I know, right? Oh my god! I, I was, I have no idea, but it was like it was so rude, and it was just like I wasn't going to take it anymore. And he stopped in his tracks and looked at me and said, "What do you mean?" And I said, "Put yourself in my shoes. How would you interpret what you just said to me?" And he said, "I am so sorry." And then from that day on, he treated me with such respect to this day. Right, if we bump into each other. But if it wasn't for me saying what I said, he would have continued. That is incredible. And, and that's why I think sometimes it is an unconscious act and that people don't even realize what they do because it's just they're on a roll and they're not even right. aware of what they're doing and saying. Which is why, yeah. Feedback. So it goes back to what you were saying, giving feedback. No, go on. No, sorry. I'm so excited about your story that I can't help but interrupt you because I'm just like, what a powerful moment. And thank goodness. Like, I think that probably took an incredible amount of courage. It sounds like you had reached your limit and it just yeah. came out, which I think so often happens in these boundaries. We just can't anymore. And sometimes it leads to these incredible fundamental shifts. And we're the change maker then. Like, if it weren't for you saying that, who knows how long this person would have continued to be yeah. less than ideal. <laughs> yeah, know? I know. And I think this is important for like for all of us to practice small steps about around batteries because I've seen people, like you said, they get to a point when they just blow up and then it's too late, you know, that because they've never said it but they've put up with it. And when they do blow up, the other person goes, what? Like, yeah. what did I say? But it's because we've allowed it to take place for such a long time that all of a sudden when we've got enough is enough. It's, you know, people, um, it, they, they take offense to it, of course, right? So I think it's important right. for us to give that feedback as often we can rather than wait and blow up to the point where we then sever those relationships. What are your thoughts around that? That's totally it. Like we either blow up in the moment or I think what's even in my experience, even more common for me is I'll just leave. I'll ghost. I'm out of there. And this is really a huge part of boundary setting, like boundaries can enable us to actually sustain our relationships through periods of tumult, because I, I will never forget 
there was a time maybe like four years ago or so where I found myself in two separate friendships and it was with folks who seemed to always talk at me. They never asked me a question. They never got curious about me and my experience. And I tolerated it for a while thinking, oh, well, eventually they'll change, but they didn't. And I realized I could either ghost, which I was really considering. I had done it before. I would do it again. Or I could actually just take the risk and, and bring it up and see what happened. And for the first time ever, like in the past, I would have just left those relationships behind. But with both of these friends on separate occasions, I sat them down and my heart was racing in my chest. I was so nervous. And I just said, hey, recently I've been feeling like most of our conversations revolve around you and your experiences. I love hearing them, but I'm starting to feel kind of unseen. So could you make more of an effort to ask about me? Right. Something like that. It wasn't as (laughs) succinct, but I'll never forget both of these friends looked at me in shock and they were like, Haley, they were like, oh my God, this whole time I've been over here thinking that you didn't share things with me because you didn't want to be vulnerable with me. I always felt like you were holding yourself at arm's length. So I was feeling disconnected also. So I'm so glad to hear you want to share more. Yes, I would love to ask you more questions. So it's kind of like, thank God I said something because these two friendships, I would have just let them go. And like, sometimes it really is just we're not knowing what the other person needs. It's not that we know it and we neglect it. It's that we don't know. And thank God we tell them. Yeah, exactly. And it's important to tell them because I was actually saying this to a friend, um, you know, we're in a situation and then they always, after we leave these this, uh, these friends, they're always in my ear and I'll say, why don't you say something? Oh, no, it doesn't bother me. I said, well, it does bother you, obviously, because if it bo- if it didn't bother you, you wouldn't be gossiping about it, Right. And and um, she was saying to me, well, there's no point me sending boundaries because it doesn't really affect me that much. I said, you, we teach others how to treat us if we don't set boundaries. And if you don't set boundaries with this person, they will continue to treat you this way. That's 100% right. Yeah. I, and the thing is, I know, and probably over the last couple of years, I've set boundaries. And uh, for me, it's interesting how people react when I've made these boundaries, I will no longer tolerate this just because I will no longer participate in these conversations and I will no longer participate in these kind of events that make me feel like shit. I'm not going to do it anymore. And the moment you do that, it's amazing people react. People go off the dial like and want nothing to do with you or not talk to you for a month and then maybe they'll call you back. So I guess... We have to also consider that when we start creating boundaries, people might get upset. Completely. I think many of them, you'll people will get super upset with you because you're no longer fulfilling that role that you've fulfilled for them for years or even decades. You know, this is one of the things where like, and I think this is actually what holds us back from setting boundaries a lot, is like fear of grief. Because if I set a boundary with someone, and they don't respect it, or they freak out at me, or they judge me, that may indicate that we have a fundamental incompatibility between us. And that may indicate, may indicate that I need to let them go, that the relationship isn't a good fit. And that often happens when we begin doing this boundary setting work is because we're being honest for the first time ever, we really get a real look at which relationships actually don't work for our full selves. And there's grief in that because we don't always want to let them go. Um, sometimes you just want the other person to 
to change. Like, just do what I said, please just meet my boundary. But if they don't, then we have to reckon with, oh, I might need to let this go. And that can stir up a lot of pain and grief and like uh, yet another thing to build resiliency for. A hundred percent. And that includes with family. I think that, yes. you know, there's, there's, um, I've experienced that myself and it's, I think it's, it is, it is, there, you do go through a grieving period, but it is, a, it, I think when you look at it, it's like I've, and the last couple of years, the boundaries that I've set, I've never set for myself. I've always people pleased. I've always, you know, like, do you want to rock the boat? Do you want to say anything, you know, but tiptoe around things and, but it, it just got to a point where, no, like, why am I doing that? At what cost? And what are the consequences to me that I keep doing this, right? So when we put ourselves in the equation for the first time, that's uncomfortable too. When we start thinking about ourselves, that's really uncomfortable. And so you've got that, you know, obviously the guilt in one ear and then you've got, you know, the other, like other voice saying, you know, what are you doing? You should be doing this. You know, you think about the other person because that's my default position has done for over 50 odd years. So that can be tough. So how would you, um, what advice would you give someone to help them build that courage of uh, really focusing and standing in the truth? Because standing in truth is really hard. Standing in the truth and saying as it is, is, is a skill in itself. That's right. Totally. And for so many of us, we're, we're so unaccustomed to it. We people pleasers, because we have this constant, like external focus, we're not focusing on ourselves. We're focusing on other people. And so when someone reacts negatively to us, whether that's because we set a boundary or just some other reason, it almost feels like unbearable because other people's reactions to us are where we've been living. They're where we've gotten our sense of meaning and value and purpose. So that's why I often use the phrase with my clients, we need to start privileging our own reality. What I mean by that is consciously remembering when we're over-focusing on someone else's reaction or feelings or whatever, to pause and bring it back home. What am I feeling in this moment? What do I need in this moment? Like, and it, it's just like a practice. Like, you know how in meditation, they always say, just come home to the breath, return to the breath. And in meditation, you do it over and over forever until you die. And it gets easier over time, but it's still a practice. That's just like this. We have to return to the self, return to the self, especially in those moments when people are unhappy with us. Yeah. And that's, that, that is a practice in itself. When you were saying that, I remember I used to, when I first started meditating, which is a very long time ago now, I would say, Oh, I like to say it plus 30 plus years. I remember when I first started meditating because we are, I think naturally we, we do focus external that I thought that, that, that it was all like outside of me. And I was, you know, trying to like focus outside and, you know, they talk about the bright light and, you know, like focus on that one, that speck of light. And I'm like, I can't see the light. And I always focus on the external, but the moment I focus and shifted my, my vision, internal that's where it really started happening for me I can do that in meditation 100% but I can't do it with relationships I'm getting better I have gotten better over the last couple of years but it is it is about I love the fact if you say keep coming back home because if you have been a people pleaser for such a long time you are externally focused anyway Mm -hmm. it's so so deeply ingrained to, to do that turning within 
that that would take a bit of practice. And I think part of the practice is doing it in moments when you're not activated. In moments when someone's unhappy with us, it's 10 times harder to return to the self, right? But then are we building that foundation when it's not an emergency? So ways of doing that, and none of these are like particularly revolutionary, but like journaling has been like, mwah, like the way I connect with myself and come home to myself because no one else is going to read it. No one else is going to react to it. It's just my space for me. So things like that, or when I'm completely home alone, pausing and being like, am I cold right now? Do I need a sweater? Am I hungry? Am I tired? So like building that homecoming muscle, even when we're not in relation to other people, I think makes it easier then when push Mm. comes to shove. Do you know what my trick is? My trick is actually Mm. working with my inner child. So I've got a little photo of me. I'll just grab it. Excited. Uh, I've got a little photo of me here when I was in France. And so oh. what I do is that because I'm so I'm easy to, to when I focus on other people, it feels more comfortable. When I focus on myself, I find it really uncomfortable. So by having a little photo like that on my desk, I will if I start hearing my inner critic or anything like that, I would say, would you speak to her like that? And I look at that little cute photo. I'm like, no. And then even like with boundaries, setting boundaries, would you allow that to happen to her? And I'd say no. So it's helped me build stronger boundaries. Mm. Um, But that's how I did because I found it really hard to do it for me. But I find it too easy to do it for my inner child. Does that make sense? Oh, it's beautiful. I love that so much. Also, what a precious, cute little photo. And I think that's a wonderful tool. Like, because if we're going to have external focus, why not focus it on your inner child, right? Or why not, like something I work a lot with with my clients and members of my programs is role modeling. So, all right, you don't want to do it for yourself. Fine. Who are you role modeling for when you set this boundary? Is it for your kids? Is it for your friends? Is it for you know, women everywhere? Is it for members of your identity group? Like we can actually leverage our external focus in a beneficial way sometimes. And I think that's one of the big ways too. It's very motivating, especially for parents I've found like role modeling for their kiddos about how to set healthy boundaries seems to be one of the biggest motivators. Oh, wow. So you're doing it the other way. You're doing it like an external role model, So, but it still right. works. It still works. It's somebody right. else, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, it's like I'm not comfortable else. with myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So then um, what other things can bubble up? So we talk about boundaries and we talked about people pleasing. What would be Mm -hmm. some other things that can get in the way of us setting boundaries? Because people pleasing is one of them. Is there any other things that can get in our way of building strong boundaries? I mean, there are probably infinite things. I think a huge one. And and again, all these things kind of overlap with each other, but I think about fear of abandonment You know, I think about attachment styles, like if we have this deep rooted fear of people leaving us or fear of being alone, period. It's really scary to do things that may then result in being alone, Um, you know, so and a lot of that also ties back to then just like building a stronger relationship with ourselves. But that's a big one, too. Mm. Yeah. And we did a piece on attachment styles that just blew my mind, blew my mind. Yeah. 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 Learning about attachment, like for anyone listening who isn't familiar, like it's, it's just such a light bulb moment because all of a sudden all your fears and your behaviors and things you look back on and you're just like, why did I act like that 
all of a sudden it starts to make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Highly yeah. recommend. Yeah. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And you can actually look the way that we we did it, we actually looked at our timelines. So we had a look at what kind of upbringing did you have to, I'm avoidant. So I, I'm, uh, because I've always been, um, we moved around a lot. I was born in France. My parents worked really hard. So I was a lot, a a lot of the times alone. And so I built this um, uh, persona that I can take care of myself. I, I can't, I don't even allow people to help me. I drove my husband crazy. He's like, you never let me help you. And it's, uh, but he's anxious style. So you can see that So two very different. And I think that just from the conversations I've had over the time, that you can see that quite often an avoidance will attract an anxious style uh, because they're kind of like, and we learn from each other. But I think that the thing that's been a big aha moment, it's like when it comes up, you're like, oh, that's just the, that's just that persona playing out right now. It's not who I am. That's it's- exactly right who I've become because obviously to help keep myself safe. Yeah. And it's pretty wild how like those things that come up, like, oh, this is just my attachment style. It also is very contextual. So like the relationships that we are currently in can affect the how potent our attachment wounding feels. Like I remember I'm more on the anxious side and in relationships that I've had with an avoidant partner, I remember just always feeling so unsteady and unstable and it it can work of course between those polarities. But then I remember dating a secure partner and I was shocked how rarely I felt anxious because I was kind of getting fed that consistent attention and care and safety. And so I remember in the book attached, which is like the foundational text on this, they say like, I think they say your attachment style is stable, but plastic. So it is movable depending on context. Yeah, 100%. I think I probably moved a lot into secure initially and then I've gone into avoidance where um, I'm one of those people, I need. I always say, I'm going in my man cave, I need my space, I'll work it out and then I can talk about it. Um, where he's a little bit different, he needs to talk things through or, you know, so it's very, very, very different. But it, it, is, it is amazing. But that in itself also helped me build boundaries or promises to not do that, to be conscious of what that creates, you know, and I think that also takes a lot of courage to look at yourself and go, okay, if these things keep presenting in my life and the common denominator is me, then it's up to me to make those changes. And that's also creating internal boundaries. Like you're saying to yourself that I will no longer continue these these um unhealthy behaviors let's say right and so you could actually and I think with setting boundaries and I think this is really important for our listeners uh, and our viewers is do just one at a time don't try to set boundaries everywhere just pick one area that's probably the area that you put where's the biggest pain point okay so let's say if it was relationship just start there um how, how would you recommend for individuals to start with their boundaries. Is that the similar thing, like looking at your pain points or what do you do? I, Yeah, great question. I love the pain point idea. I think for me, I often think about like a ladder. So the most intense boundary you could imagine setting might be the top of the ladder, but you might not start there because it's so intense and it's going to totally shock your nervous system. So then I encourage my clients to like work their way down through the ladder. So like okay, what's a less intense boundary? What's a less intense boundary than that until you get all the way to the bottom of the ladder? And like, I mean, seriously, like 
sometimes a, the first rung of a ladder boundary might look like telling your spouse you'd rather go to restaurant A over restaurant B, right? It might sound so simple, but just starting small and you're working your way up, just like so many things in life. <laughs> oh, that's really good. So can you give us some more examples? So that's a really good one, actually, because that is a small step. What would be then the next step from that? So let's say if you say you start as simple as, I want to go to that restaurant instead of that restaurant, what would be the, the next step? So maybe the next one would be, you know, saying, oh, honey, you know, you go ahead and go out with your friends. I'm going to stay home. So maybe like protecting our alone time or um, saying, oh, God, no, it's OK. You watch a movie. I'm going to go read in bed. I'm an introvert, as you can tell from my examples. So I'm like, how to be alone more. But it could also be like, you know, really saying to your partner, hey, I'd really prefer if wouldn't it be great if you came out with me and my friends this weekend? You never come out with us. Like th- small things like this, right? Yeah. Um, also like division of labor in the household is such a thing, like setting boundaries around like, I mean, this is, we talk about this all the time in my programs because it can be so hard to talk about boundary setting when you live with someone and you are doing more than your fair share of the household labor. Like how do you effectively... You can, you can make requests, right? Hey, could you please do the dishes more? Hey, could you help with the laundry? Hey, could you such and such? But what if they don't do it? Then what? And then maybe we get into boundary setting, which is very awkward, but you might say, hey, um, so I cooked the dinner, so I'm not going to do the dishes tonight. That's a boundary. And maybe that means you have to sit for a few days while the dishes are in the sink and they start to smell a little funky, right? Like these are kind of these really <laughs> like difficult but two common examples of where boundaries need to happen 100 percent. and you could even make it fun too you could let you could even speak with your partner if you wanted to start there in a relationship that talk about boundaries you know do you have any boundaries or both of you set a boundary where you can support each other i mean is that something that you would do like what kind of boundaries yeah yeah i really love that just like opening the conversation because both people have boundaries the only question, are we are we talking about them? Are we sharing them? Or are we just kind of ruminating on them in our own minds alone? So I love that idea of just like opening a talk. Like, here's one of mine. What's one of yours? Mm, yeah. I remember I did that with my husband years and years ago. It was uh, what I did. It was, um, it was, it's called an emotional bank account. And basically what you do is you write down your deposits and your withdrawals, right? And so all, and so I said, let's do this together. And so I created these, um, uh, like a Google Doc as, as it looked like a, a bank account. And we had two columns, deposit and withdraw. And so I, all the things that I wrote down as deposits were things like taking the rubbish out, taking shirts to the dry cleaners, cooking dinner, all of these things that I thought were deposits. And then the withdrawals were things I was doing a lot of traveling. I wasn't spending enough time with him, all that. So I wrote down, you know, and I said, let's do this for a week. And then on Friday after a week, let's get together with a glass of wine. Let's look at our emotional bank account. And everything I had on there as a deposit was not a deposit. So it was such a great exercise to actually do with my partner because the things that were deposits for him was like going to the movies, going out to dinner, investing time with him. Like it was just very, very different. So highly recommend for our listeners and viewers if you want to. We might add that to the show notes. It's a great exercise because then you can start setting boundaries around those things, right? The things for uh, making promises that you're not going to do that. I know for me, the boundary for me was to say no more to others so that I could invest more time with my husband. 
And that was that was pretty hard as well to do that because I'm like, I'm the yes person. Um, so you can right. make it fun. Are there any other ways that we can make boundaries setting fun? I mean, I love the framework of the emotional bank account. I love ideas like that. So I think in a similar way, like even just talking about love, like talking about boundaries through the lens of love languages, right? Because maybe that's a good example of like, this is how I give and receive love best. How do you give and receive love best? And then that can lead to a really fruitful conversation about like, where are we missing each other? Or how can we meet each other more? Or just like other frameworks, like introversion, extroversion. Like as an introvert, I have learned, I have benefited immensely from like setting boundaries around my social involvement so I can have more time to myself. Yeah. Um, I, gosh, that's the cool thing about boundaries. It can be overlaid on like any other framework for just such yeah. a juicy conversation. <laughs> A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I love that. And it's so true. I'm a big introvert too. So I'm right there with you. Rock on. All right. So as we start wrapping up the show, we always love, 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 love to ask our guests to leave our family three shiny golden nuggets. So what would be those three shiny golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our family today, Hayley? Uh, I love it. I love clear takeaways. Okay. So first one, is just remembering the difference between requests and boundaries. Requests are when you're asking someone else to change. Boundaries are when you're saying what you will or will not tolerate. Number one. Um, the second golden nugget is just this reminder of the importance of coming home to the self, even when you're not in a disagreement with somebody else. So regularly checking in with yourself and asking, what is it that I feel right now? Give your feelings a name. What is it that I need? What are my passions? What are my values? All of this stuff helps us retain a sense of self that will then make boundary setting easier. And then finally, um, we have just this idea that like discomfort, including guilt, grief, uncertainty, ambiguity, these are all natural and normal parts of the boundary setting process. The goal isn't to make them never come up for you. The goal is to develop resiliency around them with practice so that they don't pose an obstacle to your journey. So I think those are my three. Love them. I love all three. So Haley, where's the best place for our family to find you? My website's a great spot, just HaleyMcGee.com. And then I post, you know, daily reminders and inspirational stuff on Instagram at HaleyPageMcGee. And we'll have all of those in the show notes. Haley. I can't thank you. I've really, really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. So thank you for coming on the show and sharing your wealth of wisdom with us. Thank you. Oh, such a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please click on share show with your friends to help make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to get involved is to click on follow show or leave a review on iTunes so that we can give you a shout out on the show. If you have been a long-time listener of the show, you know we are big on delivering content that is valuable for you. 
content that will address your pain points. So if you have any questions or ideas for a podcast show, please reach out and we will create the content to meet your needs. Yes, you heard right. If you have topics, themes or special guests that you want to hear from, please send us a note to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will create a show especially for you. Wherever you are in the world, sending you love, blessings and peace. Namaste. Namaste.